Welcome to another episode of the Local Podcast, a podcast about all things local, brought to you by the Wiregrass Local and Bar Media. Today's episode is brought to you by HotsDeli.com. Hot's Deli has got the best oven-toasted sandwiches and the healthiest options around for your lunch and dinner needs. Hit them up at HotsDeli.com and you can order online and skip the line. Sam's Pastry has been hooking the local up with sweet treats for the last couple years, and let me tell you, those things are delicious. If you can't appreciate some sweetness in your teethness, then uh, samspastryllc.com is not the place for you. You can find her cakes at Corks and Cattle in Enterprise or at Mr. Coffee Bean on Westgate here in Dothan. Hit her up at samspastryllc.com. Also, if you're in the market for some bright shoes, some skateboard stuff, or some cozy clothes, hit up reliefskatesupply.com. Those dudes have been doing some solid work down in Panama City for the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years. And honestly, there's not another reputable shop around that I really trust as much as I do Relief. Hit them up, reliefskatesupply.com, and tell them the locals sent you, and maybe they'll give you a kiss on the forehead. Why is that? I don't know. I'm close. I'm like, my mustache touching this thing. I mean, I can get up closer. There you go. There yeah, you, you got to thicken that line up. There All we right. go. That's how you make a podcast right there. This is how we do it. It's a like Montel close. Jordan up in here. Yeah, Charlene and I were doing a podcast when we first started. We would record out somewhere live, mm-hmm. and then we would go to Wolf FM and record like an intro and outro in one of their booths, and we were cheek to cheek on this one big phallic black microphone <laughs> and it was very awkward for a lot of reasons but mostly because of the microphone the first time i ever had to sing cheek to cheek with somebody yeah. into a mic it it happened to be a lesbian and i didn't know it at the time but sure. like you know i'm i'm cheek to cheek with this cute blonde who you know is playing music yeah. and doing the music for this retreat and it was like i this feels so awkward this feels so awkward to me at yeah. that moment but now you know, i'm like eh, whatever yeah i'm I'm very strange about close proximities and peoples, especially, uh, I don't know. It's not, it wasn't like a, something where it was, there's any sexual energy yeah. by any means, but it was just like being in that situation was just so awkward for me. And I was just like, this is kind of weird. It feels awkward. It feels awkward when you're like that physically proximate with somebody, especially if it's somebody that you're not already emotionally intimate with. Yeah. I don't hug people. Like I don't, I'll high five them. Like I'll hug like close, close, close friends. Yeah. Like you'll get a hug before you move, probably. Aww. One and done for for me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've never been like a physically like I don't. I'll high five my homies and stuff like that. Yeah, and um, yeah, even like close lady friends, I'll like high five them or like text them. <laughs> Instead of, now that's what we do with everybody it's like yeah. you know hey air hug i don't know what you got over there yeah that's uh everybody's like i um, know what you might have though it's it's at least at least hay fever or allergies bad allergies yeah or a peanut allergy um peter wong welcome back to the uh the studio is this the, man it's good to be back this, this is the probably first the or second one that we've done without a crowd i think it's the second one we've done this is the second one we've done without some other people being here. Yeah. Um, the first two we did were both um, House of Ruth related. Yeah. So, yeah, this is the second one we've done, even though we've been talking about this Dude, for pretty much since you started podcasting. Yeah. And it was weird because what we're going to get into today is a lot different than what we typically get into. Because mm-hmm. usually I'm just like, 
I don't know. I always try to just like, here's business X. This is what they do. They sell shirts. They're comfy. Put them on. And uh, it's, it's a lot of promotion. But this is more, it's more of an educational thing for a lot of people, I would think. Um, you want to talk about what you do for a living for everybody that doesn't remember? Yeah, sure. For those who don't remember what I do for a living, I have served for the last eight years as a priest at the Episcopal Church of the Nativity. Um, Nativity's been around a long time, and you know I've been around here for, like I said, eight years. And you know we've always had conversations around faith and talked mm-hmm. about doing that, you know, for posterity. And so I happen to be moving to Baton Rouge. I'm taking a new call over there to a church. And I, you know, texted you and said, hey, um, we need to do this before we get out of town. For sure. And it was actually after the last podcast that we did together, um, you know, we said we need to do this again Mm -hmm. and we we need to go ahead and do it. We were going to do it like Halloween week, but then something happened. Um, But my kids have actually been bugging me, too, because they listened to the episode and they were like, when are you gonna? When are you gonna do another podcast? Get with, in there with Mr. Justin. When are you gonna do another podcast? I like that they call me Mister, even though I'm well. Lila does less mature. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Lila still calls you Paper Chicken. That's, dude, that's I need to get that tattooed. Oh, that's what I'll that do. would I'll be get amazing. Like a, one of those little origami swans, but I'll just put like a rooster thing on its head. There you go, and it'll be my Paper Chicken tattoo. Chris Lurie, if you're listening, schedule me a couple hours <laughs> on like a Tuesday morning. Lila would lose her mind, dude. If I'd, you did that. I'm about that. Uh, random inside joke tattoo life. All right. For sure. Um, so yeah, we'd always talk about doing this more of an educational at the time, actually four years ago when we were talking about it, I was kind of just like in a different headspace altogether. And mm-hmm. I was a little, um, antagonistic. Uh, I still am to an extent, but like my focus has kind of shifted to yeah. more, I don't know. I blame religion for a lot of things when I was younger. Um, and I still, I still have trouble like wrapping my head around the purpose of some things that might be in the Bible or like, obviously it wasn't written by anybody but people. So if you're like me and you question everything just because you're naturally a curious person. Yeah. Um, yeah. You can come up with a lot of, a lot of questions. You can. While these aren't necessarily my personal questions that I have for you, I think they're questions that a lot of people have. Um, and especially with these times that we have going on right now where like every, I think every generation, um, when I was in church, when I was younger, every, all the older people said within your lifetime, you will see the end of days. And I think every generation says that, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, dude, literally I, every generation in the church, in the Christian church ever has thought that. Yeah. That's, you know, Paul says that all the time in, in the, the letters that he writes. Sure. Like, you know, I, I tell people when I'm, when I'm talking about the, the first century of Christian faith, I, I think Paul was a little disappointed every morning that he woke up and it wasn't the end times. Mm-hmm. And, and Paul said often like, you know, this generation will not pass before this happens. Yeah. And yet here we are 2000 years later Every generation thinks that their life yeah, is going to be the time. Yeah, but, you know, so the question that, that then you have to figure out, you know, as a Christian person is, well, how do we live, right? That's sure. the that's the difference between the pastoral epistles and the epistles that Paul actually wrote, mm-hmm. right? There's some epistles that, like, we think Paul may have written. There's some that we're pretty sure he didn't, but they're all 
you know, working towards the same goal, which is to try to help people understand how we live this life reflecting Christ in the world. Sure. With that being said, with everybody, we'll go back to epistles for sure, for first, actually. Explain that to anybody that doesn't know what in the world. I'm going to act yeah. like I've never heard of any of this. We'll and and I f- sometimes, you know, I apologize because, you know, you talk to clergy enough and, and, you know, you sometimes forget when you start talking about this stuff that not everybody speaks. Yeah. You know, well, or I un- mean, understands the Greek root of words. Right. So the epistle, an epistle is a letter. Mm-hmm. So all the letters that Paul wrote, all the letters that are attributed to Paul, we understand those to be epistles. That's what we call them. But if if it's more comfortable for you, call them letters. Yeah. yeah. Call them call them letters that Paul wrote because that's that's what they were. And in common parlance, that's what you'd say. You'd say, well, you know, it's Paul and we even say it, you know, Paul's letter to the Romans, yeah. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, Paul's letter, you know. Which became books of the Bible. Yeah. If you guys aren't really yeah. familiar. Um what actually what makes a Christian a Christian in your your professional uh Opinion. So, in in my opinion, and in in the opinion of the Episcopal Church, is that what makes you a Christian is belief in Jesus Christ. Okay, you know, and belief in Jesus Christ. And there's some things that we say as a church. Is that like belief in the boogeyman, where you just think he's there, or is it like belief of like, is there does there need to be any interaction, or is it just like a vague like, yeah, I know Pete from down the road, he's there. I think each person has to work that out for themselves. Mm-hmm. Like you know, there are people who you know will talk at length about their deeply personal relationship with Christ. And then there are people who don't have that same sense and that's okay. You know, that you're still a Christian and the word Christian, actually what it means for the world is, is a Christ bearer, Mm -hmm. right? Someone who is bearing the presence of Christ in the world. So ideally a Christian would be someone who bears the presence of Christ in the world. Now we're not all going to do that super well all day, every day. Sure. Everybody's got a toe to stub somewhere. Everybody's going to stub a toe somewhere. Yeah. Clergy do it. You know, your clergy stub toes probably more than anybody else. But we also live a life that practices that grace and forgiveness and hope that others will do the same for us. Sure. You know. How, uh, how'd you get, what's your origin story in the church? <laughs> we'll go back and we'll take this into Marvel terms. Well, it's funny because I actually do origin stories with couples that I'm counseling for marriage. Yeah. Like, that's one of the first things I ask them. Tell me about your origin story. Great. The great thing about that is, like, when I was a kid, you know, everybody would have been like, origin story, what is right. that? Yeah, but yeah. now that the Marvel Comics universe has been, like, blown, you know, it up. blown up in movies and shows and Netflix and everything else, now everybody's like, oh, my origin story. I understand oh, yeah. that. Um, but my origin story is I grew up in the Episcopal Church. Now, here's here's my origin is weird, right? Okay. So... My mom and dad met in Philadelphia, which is where she's from. Okay. My dad was there as a, um, I think he was doing an intern, residency. He was doing a residency at the hospital where she worked. He grew up in British Guiana in South America. Oh, wow. Back when there was a British Guiana. Yeah. um, Near Georgetown, uh, where, you know, Jonestown was. Mm -hmm. Um, So... My dad grew up in the British West Indies, and he came to America after going to med school in Jamaica, met my mom. They got married, and then because it was the late 60s and he was Asian and got accused of being a communist, um, they had to leave the country. And so my dad and my mom left the country, went to Malaysia, which is where my brother was born. Okay. 
I was born about six months after they got back in Muskogee, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. So I am an Okie from Muskogee. All right. Yeah. And then when they got transferred, um, the options from Muskogee were Tuskegee, Alabama, or um, Biloxi, Mississippi. And my mom decided that if she was going to live in the South as a, a mixed race couple, she'd at least like to have good seafood nearby. And so yeah. they moved to Biloxi, Mississippi. Well, Tuskegee was in the tabloids back then. It was. Pretty often. It was. But, you know, she didn't want that. You no. Know, she, she wanted seafood. Yeah. And so that's where we moved. And I grew up in Gulfport. Um, my dad left the VA. And, you know, I grew up in the Episcopal Church. My mom, if if you were not running a fever or actively vomiting or actively bleeding, mm-hmm. you were in church on Sunday. Yeah. And that was it. That was the rule. And it was always the rule. And I grew up like a normal person. You know, I played football. I, you know, never played much basketball, never played much baseball or any of that. But, mm-hmm. you know... I grew up kind of like a regular Southern kid and then went to school at Florida State and completely left the church, like just had no use for it um, for about five years. I would go when I was home because that was what you did. Sure. Because, you know, you were in Mama says house. you're going. Yeah. And when Mama says you're going, you, you just go. You know, it's very common experience oh, yeah. in the yeah, South. Yeah, yeah. When Mama says you do something, you do it. Absolutely. Um, but... Uh, so when my life fell apart in Tallahassee after, you know, five years at Florida State, I moved back home That's to like help my mom. That's like a Kreischer story. Yeah. You know who that is? I don't. He is, he's a comedian that became famous because he was at Florida State for a long time. They, there's rumors that the movie Van Wilder was based loosely on his life. Mm. Um, yeah, but he ended up being picked up by the Travel Channel. Like, they did an article. Okay. Uh, I think... Time Magazine did an art. No. I Whatever magazine. Some magazine did an article on Florida State being like the party town. It was. For a long time. Yeah, it, it was the number one party school for a very long time. It was. Um, may still be. No doubt. No, I, I don't know if it is or not. But, Tuscaloosa's you know, throwing COVID parties. Roll Tuscaloosa, tide, Tuscaloosa and Auburn are doing well. And, yeah. and you know, Austin is a, an amazing town. Yeah. There's plenty of towns out there. And and besides, it's it's hard to peg that down now. Um. In large part because one of the one of the factors in that early computation of you know party schools mm. was um, beer consumption per capita. Yeah. So you know that's kind of hard to pin down now. Yeah, if you have a small town mm-hmm. with like one community college, but everybody loves beer. Yeah. You could be the most party in be, school in the nation. You could be. According fact, to whatever I, magazine. That I was. feel like back in the day, a few years ago, I I feel like I heard something on the radio about a town in Wisconsin that, that was the highest beer consumption per capita. And there's not a college there. So, no. you know, cheers to them. But cheers old Milwaukee them. is based there. So you kind of, <laughs> kind of get stuck with the, with the whole, uh, yeah, the OM brands. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I was in Tallahassee for a few years and, and, you know, didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, moved back home and the priest at my mom's church and, and, Back home was to mom's house, but mom's house had moved from um, Gulfport to Niceville, Florida. Oh, okay. And so my mom was there, and we, you know, I, I moved in with her to help take care of my grandmother, who would soon be diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, back home, rule is go to church. And because I was, you know, under 30 and had a pulse, they asked me to work with the teenagers. Of course. And I simultaneously loved and hated that. I understand. Um, because I felt like nobody recognized me as an, as an adult and I really wasn't yet. 
Um, but the teenagers did. And so, you know, I found that I really enjoyed working with the kids in mm-hmm. part because, you know, usually when you're a teenager, there's a point at which you have to claim your faith for yourself. And that involves a lot of questions. Like we have kids now and kids ask a ton of questions, oh, sure. but teenagers ask questions that are beyond the kid questions. You know, the kid questions, you can kind of do the because thing. Mm-hmm. With teenagers, you really have to be able to There's come up some with some logic. good answers, you know, when they ask you things about the scriptures. And so all of a sudden I found myself in the place of an adult, but still with really kind of childlike knowledge. And so <clears throat> I decided that what I had to do was figure out how to answer these questions so that I wouldn't be the least educated person in the room about yeah. it. And so that's what I started doing. And I just, like I said, fell in love with doing youth work. Absolutely fell in love with working with teenagers because they're discovering like, what do I believe? Yeah. What do I believe about this? They're becoming little people. Yeah. Or like real adults. Yeah. Meanwhile, you were doing the same thing. Yeah. And that was, um, I kind of did the same thing. I didn't, I, I had applied to BCF. I was going to be an ordained minister uh, I was going to be a youth minister at one point and I forget what happened, why I threw that dream in the dumpster. Uh, probably some altercation with a street evangelist or something, if I had to guess. Um, I remember, oh, I know exactly what it was. I was at, I won't name the church because it's neither here nor there, but I was trying to transfer my letter of membership from a Methodist church to a Baptist church. Mm-hmm. My pastor that baptized me, and a lot of people in Dothan may remember this from back in the day, um, the pastor that baptized me, I'd gone through Methodist confirmation and um, got sprinkled because that's how it works over there. Right. And the pastor that was there, um, I guess the easiest way to, I mean, the black and white of it is he committed suicide. Oh, no. And that dude was, I was super close with him. We were, I would get out of service on Sunday, go to lunch with him and his wife, hang out. He counseled me like on the weekends. Like I was very all over the place as a kid, like grew up not necessarily a troubled home, but I made sure that it wasn't going to be a troubled home. Cause I was never going to be in it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I filled my time with anything that would get me out of the house and church yeah. was a big component of that. Mondays and Wednesdays, mm-hmm. dude, all day, all day. I mean, Sundays and Wednesdays, all day Sunday, I had somewhere to be that wasn't at home all night. Wednesday, I didn't have a care in the world because I yeah. was partying with my friends. Um, but yeah, he, I don't know how he came to that decision or what, what road got him there or whatever. But yeah, um, I guess he had been depressed for a while, which is something I'd always struggled with mm-hmm. and, I had a respect for him. I did not feel like I needed to do the whole experience. Like I just wanted to be like one and done kind of yeah. like my hugs. Yeah. And they, the church that I was trying to transfer to just were not feeling it. And I didn't really want to get into all of the reasons that I didn't want to get like waterboarded into the church. Mm-hmm. And they, yeah, they weren't feeling it. I was a, at the time I was a Sunday school teacher. I was like, 21 22 or something and it because of how they handled that i was like you know what maybe i'll just go on like some weird walkabout and see like what it is that i care about how i can apply myself to further that mission yeah then 
try to fit the mold of what's going on within this congreg- congregation. Mm-hmm. Um, so my belief system is still very much the same as it was coming up in the church, but it's I've kind of amended stuff here and there and included stuff that were, wasn't included necessarily when you grow up in a Methodist church or a Southern Baptist church or whatever. Um, so yeah, over the years, I've kind of, between different experiences and meeting different people, I've kind of always just had questions that I think a lot of people have. And I've heard questions that I haven't had answers for that I think would be good for this setting. And that brings us to, yeah, what's happening as we speak. Um, Yeah. Everybody thinks this is the last generation that's going to be on the earth. And every hundred years it happens again. And everybody's like, Oh, there's a sickness going around like this year's COVID yep. a couple of years ago was H1N1 mm-hmm. Ebola AIDS in the eighties and nineties. Yeah. Like, yeah, everybody's there's something that gets everybody riled up. Yeah. And a lot of it is just the uncertainty and the unknown is such an anxiety producer for people that unless they have something like a built in support system, which I think religion fills that void to a very good extent. Um, I think that I think a lot of people put so much weight in that religious uh, section of their life that they don't necessarily take responsibility for what they do or could be doing. Like the whole "I'll pray for you" thing, yeah, kind of bugs me. Um, like I I'd, I'd use that as a joke. Like uh, sometimes, not all the time. Like obviously, I'd care about people, so I meditate or pray or whatever. Sure, absolutely. The terminology needs to be for whomever's listening to be able to get through this. Yeah. Um, But it's one of those things where if somebody tells me they'll pray for me, if I say I have a roof leak, I don't want them to pray for me. I want them to climb up on the roof with me and help me fix it. Right. Um, And I think a lot of people kind of use that as a scapegoat as saying like, I'll pray for you or I'll add that to my prayer list or prayers going up or whatever some people do and you know it's funny because you know how you'll tell people you know we we need to do lunch sure you know there's a couple people that i've known you know for eight years here in dothan and and we've said often you know we need to do lunch lunch and we just we never we never remember to do it Mm -hmm. you know and and sometimes people use that phrase you know you'll be in my prayers in that same way you know it's a way of saying you know i'm showing compassion and concern to you in the moment but this is not something I'm going to be really concerned with long term. Yeah. Ideally, what you know the the life of prayer should do is is move you to be thoughtful about those people, mm-hmm. you know, and move you to have them in your mind, not just at the moment, not just you know for a little while, but until whatever it is that they're doing is resolved. So prayer, you know, for me, when I'm talking to people about it, prayer and and the way that we pray for each other is in large part about establishing that kind of intimacy that, you know, you would want to have before you hug somebody. Sure. Or, you know, sing next to them in a microphone. Yeah. It's you know, like it's, it's it's that but and it's establishing that emotional intimacy whether the person's there or not. Which is also one of the reasons that Jesus says that you should pray for your enemies. You know, because if if we're praying for people that don't love us, then you know, there's also a part of us that starts to recognize that they also are, 
you know, not that different. They're not that different, and they're people too. And Jesus likes both of us. I think a lot of people don't catch that as far as like the everybody's enemies being basically us. They just believe something maybe completely different, maybe slightly different. Maybe they like Auburn and not Florida State. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, they could be that wrong. I've got a Syracuse Orangeman shirt, not Orangeman, orange shirt on right now as we speak. And they ain't winning much. I mean, their basketball team no, they're not, not bad. But the Florida State's football team ain't winning much either. Well, yeah. Like, yeah. It's a good thing. Basketball team looks good, though. Yeah. So. Oh, I will shift gears in this podcast in just in like a second if we what? start talking about sports. Um, yeah, I think people get so caught up in the, the who's and the what's and the who's the bad guy and whatever. And a lot of it, I think for me is uh it's an easy way to not focus on yourself nobody wants to look at themselves and see any deficits or any shortcomings or any places they could improve Mm -hmm. um which i think uh is almost as divisive as a lot of like what we've seen in the news and like you know how polarizing news articles are nowadays. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's more about clicks than it is actual mm-hmm. information and we gotta sell advertising, which is weird because it's also like one of those strange situations for me because I am in the media business and we don't I don't care about perpetuating hate or whatever. And I think that's why I only drive a two thousand twelve Jeep. Which I'm not saying is a terrible vehicle. Mm-mm. I love it. But I feel like I could make a ton more money if I was just like polarizing everybody, trying to get everybody to argue on my Facebook page yeah. or whatever. Driving those clicks. Yeah. Um, I think not knowing, I think focusing on the enemy instead of focusing on ourselves yeah. is a huge way to avoid self-improvement and actually keep going down the wrong path, if that makes sense. So yeah. praying for your enemies definitely makes sense. Yeah. Um, that's how you figure out empathy how you I mean your enemies have kids the same way as we do mm-hmm. your enemies have hobbies the same way as you do mm-hmm. enemies always have I mean they the, laugh. Walk, is, the yeah. walk of life is not that much different except maybe it's very often not yeah so um, so we'll, let's focus on that for a minute why do people blame religious differences or blame wars on so many different religious differences. I think one of the reasons that we've done that is because it's an easy culprit to point to. Yeah. Right. That makes sense. You know, you, you look at, so, you know, you're music guy. Sure. I am too. And there's that line from sympathy for the devil. Mm-hmm. You know, I watched with glee while your Kings and Queens fought for 10 decades for the gods they mm-hmm. made. Right. Religion is one of the things that feels so strong to us. Sure. Right. And so if you want to get people whipped up into a frenzy, if you want to get people to stay convinced, then first of all, you've got to be righteous and and you can take the scriptures and you can use them to justify your righteousness Mm -hmm. and you can use them to justify the destruction of your enemy if you don't want to read the whole thing. Sure. And so religion is is an easy culprit. And it's also something that's been a part of the power structure of. Um, that has existed really since Constantine decided that, you know, the the Roman Empire was going to be Christian. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and that was, I, I joke around that that was simultaneously one of the best and one of the worst things that ever happened to Christianity because it was great because we could come out of the shadows. We could stop hiding, mm-hmm. you know, it was great because we could get people together to talk about matters of theology and all those things. But it also meant this tenuous relationship with government. Yeah. And that has been one of the things that's tied together, you know, all of this. And so it's easy for us to look at it and say, well, you know, that's the fault of religion. Eh, it It's not really the fault of religion. It's It's religion's complicit in it. Sure. But ultimately, that's the fault of governments who decide, you know what, we're going we're gonna to go to war because we want that. Yeah. I'll be honest. I've experienced a lot in the 38 years that I've been around. And a lot of it, when I was younger, like blamed on God or blamed on mm-hmm. bad luck or blamed on superstition or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't believe now, I don't believe any of that had anything to do with my shortcomings or my struggles or my whatever. I think it was just how I interpreted things and I couldn't blame any one particular tangible thing. So yeah. it went to that. Yeah. Um, I think people use war and use, I mean, use religion when it comes to like using that as a scapegoat. Yeah. Religion be. can absolutely be used as a scapegoat, but religion also sometimes plays a role in that. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's part of the complicated thing about remaining a person of faith is like being able to recognize these are some things that the church has done that we really ought to repent of, Mm -hmm. you know, and does that mean that the church is invalid because it made a mistake? No, it means it's a human institution that is inspired by God and is called to live that life. Right. We talked about what makes a person a Christian. Mm -hmm. Part of that is, is being able to do that introspection and recognize that the life we're living either individually or as the church isn't reflecting Christ in the world. So, like, you know, when when Europeans started discovering there were lands across the sea, the church made a determination that the people across the sea were not fully human and therefore had no claim to the land, so we could take it. Yeah. Now, you know, you can look at that and you can say, oh, that's a horrible thing. Every, nobody should believe anything that the church does after that, that you just completely compromised your witness. We didn't know as much. Well, not only that, but when you... When you are perceived as being on the winning team, everybody wants to be a part of that team. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's ain't, ain't no ain't no fair weather Syracuse fans out there. God, you no. know, right now Safety there ain't a whole lot of fair weather. You know, Florida State fans no. out there. Like you got to be devoted. Yeah. You know, when your team's three and six, you got to be committed. That's a it's a very very common place for us. <laughs> it's <laughs> look. It, it, Florida State's had more losing seasons in the last three years than yeah. they've had in the last 40. So it's not James coming back, for us. Man, let him get his doctorate. No, no. James doesn't need to come back. He doesn't need to get his doctorate. We need to build the program up from where it is. It's it's where it is, and you build it up from there. Um, do you, Were you a part of any uh, religious groups or anything whenever you were at Florida State? No. The only You weren't I'll seeing you, anybody at the poll or whatever they, they do I, in high I school? I wouldn't. See, the poll actually started after I was um, – after I was out of Florida State, I think, or maybe it started there but I, while I was there, but um, it didn't start there. I got you. I don't think. But um, no, the only real interaction I had with the church, I went to the Episcopal Chapel there at Florida State a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um, one time was when there was something really horrible that had happened in our lives, and 
Um, I went in and, and stood before the altar and I was just, they kept it open all the time. And I was just furious. I was angry at God and I yelled and I hollered and I screamed and I kicked and I cussed. You know, I didn't break anything because I didn't think I should, but well, sure. felt like it. Yeah. Because, you know, I was broken and I wanted something to feel the kind of pain that I was feeling. And I, you know, but that was really the only. Inter- now, I will tell you that interaction is terribly important for me. Yeah. In my own spiritual development to understand that, you know, I wasn't going to get struck down for having these feelings. For That's sure. one of the reasons that we pushed so hard. And for so long, Nativity's doors were open 24 7, you know, all day, every day. Yeah. Now, you know, we've had some we've had some challenges that have meant we've had to lock it at night. Mm-hmm. But most days, if you need a place to be, you can go in there. Yeah. You know, if you need a place to go and, and get away and speak to God in a place where people have been worshiping and praying together for years and decades. And there's a whole shadow congregation that Nativity has in Dothan oh, yeah. that never has been there on a Sunday. But I've met so many people who have told me, you know, I, I grew up taking my, you know, I, I grew up going to pray in that church and mm-hmm. now I take my kids there and pray in the church. Love that. So for people that don't know the difference between all the denominations, I always tell, uh, I always tell anybody that asks me, even though I don't know why they would ask me, I'm clearly not the dude to just be slinging questions at. I'm usually the dude with the most questions in the room. Um, I explained uh, Episcopalianism. I don't even know if that's the correct terminology. It works. Um, it works for me too. Like I just sling it out. So if I don't know, I just explain it to everybody as like diet Catholic. That that's one way to explain it. It's a simple way to explain it. It's it's the English, it's the English Church that formed during the Reformation. So okay. like when the Lutherans were breaking off, when mm-hmm. um, the Calvinists were breaking off from the Roman Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the English branch. And, you know, we like to tell ourselves that it didn't have anything to do with Henry VIII wanting to divorce his wife and not getting to from the Pope. Mm-hmm. But it probably had something to do with that. Sure. I and mean, that was at least a, a piece of that driving force. Now, again, you know, does does one moment define? No, it doesn't. Because, you know, the Episcopal Church is, is a part of the Anglican Communion, which spread all over the world as British colonies, you know, were all over mm-hmm. the world. And so it's a really large... Um, piece of the world worship puzzle you know and it is it's it's got a lot of the same liturgy and you know the same practice of mm-hmm. worship yeah um that the roman catholic church does but with different structures the roman catholic church has a very rich worship history it really does um i know their weddings take forever they do they do. Weddings can take forever at the Episcopal Church too. So I've been if you couple. do communion. Yeah. You know, so like we my Katie's Katie's and my wedding was probably an hour and a half affair. Oh wow. And there were there were three priests at the altar and like twenty eight in the congregation because that at sounds that point, like an exorcism, man. Dude, at that point I'd been working for the I'd been working around the, the church for, you know, ten years. So mm-hmm. I had a lot of close friends who were clergy and they were all there and it was great. You know. That's the ticket. Um, it's crazy how those relationships develop where you just sign on to do whatever job. Like mm-hmm. for me, it was teaching middle school dudes Sunday school. Yeah. Um, and yeah, event like my, the 
youth pastor at the time, Chris Love. This is actually how I got into teaching Sunday school after. Wait, no, this is how I got into teaching Sunday school before I ended up leaving the church. We were out skateboarding. The skate park at the time, Sanctuary was on uh, Coderry Road over by mm-hmm. um, in the Cloverdale neighborhood. And we were skating at one of the churches over in the neighborhood. And this dude, Chris, who is still, he's still around, I think. He'd gone and served at a church in Panama City for a while. Um, but I had lunch with him not too terribly long ago here in town. He's, he was back here. I think his wife was working somewhere. And that's why they came back to Dothan. She had gotten offered a job or something. Um, but that dude, instead of kicking us out of the church, was like, yeah, go nuts, man. Skate wherever you want. Like, don't, obviously don't break anything. Don't be an idiot about it. But he was the only dude that looked at us as, like, humans instead of, like, just wild dogs running around on the property. Yeah. They weren't shooing us off the stoop with a broom. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was one of the first adult instances or I say adult I was still like at that point I was probably 18 I don't know this timeline's all over the place maybe I was 16 16 now if you were between 16 and 18 you thought you were an adult and that's what I mean. realized yeah, you I mean. weren't like as a conscious Justin <laughs> yeah I'll put it that way um but that was one of the first interactions I had had as a conscious dude that is still in in me um that yeah, I wasn't treated like some dirt bag because I was riding a skateboard, listening to Metallica and blah, blah, blah. Um, growing up in the South as a skateboarder, you're definitely, you fall right in line with that Satanist vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, all of the dudes that we grew up looking up to, like Jamie Thomas, who's from here, was one of the bo- most like influential skateboarders in the world at one point. And he was long hair, black hair, skulls on the shirt, listening to Slayer. And that dude was from our town. So, yeah, most of us looked like we were ready to light a Bible on fire right. or have a seance or whatever. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah, we, were, we weren't necessarily the most welcome crew if we showed up at your place of worship. Yeah. Um, but we were also weren't there to do damage or anything. Crazy. Right, right. Um, but that dude realizing that we were are actually treating us like people instead of the enemy, which we had currently or previously only felt that vibe. Mm -hmm. I mean, it made a huge impression and it started making me realize that like, it's not religion. It's what people blame religion for that gives it the bad name, whether it's Christianity or Buddhism or nation of Islam does has some rad ideologies in there. Um, I think there could be a giant world religion if everybody just got together and kicked it long enough. And like would put all this stuff that happened in the past behind us. Like, why are we still fighting some of these fights? Like people blame it on religion, but I think it's oil. I think it's a uh, mining rights. I think it's a uh, differences of opinion or just sometimes just prove a point. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's usually about power and about resources and sure. we can, we can blame it on all kinds of things, but it's usually about power and resources, yeah. you know, and, and that's, that's just the challenge of it. But you know, Sure, you could, you could, I can envision, and the Bible does, the Bible envisions a world where, you know, all nations are before the throne of God. And, you know, I, I'm not here to tell you exactly what that looks like. Sure. 
you know, do I think that God looks like a, an old dude with a white beard? I don't know. The scriptures describe him as that, but maybe that's just because we're trying to conceive of something that we really can't conceive of entirely. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I'm not sure, but, uh, you know, I have great relationships with people across faith. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the great things we do here in Dothan is the interfaith service that we do every Thanksgiving, and we get together people from all kinds of different houses of worship. Yeah. You know, and we all get together and we give thanks for what it is that, you know, that we have. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a universal thing. And that's what I was thinking, like, as far as universal appreciation, gratitude, um, which I think are pretty synonymous, I think that goes a long way. Is like uh, as far as empathy and recognizing ourselves and others, and I think that's how you grow a community. I think that's how you get out of your comfort zone. I think the bigger the comfort zone, the better. Um, I always tell people a lot of times, like my comfort zone is huge, but there's a huge like. 90 degree section that if you go anywhere near it, you're going to get a completely different experience. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I'm cool with any, just about anything. Um, especially if it's just personal beliefs, I don't care. Like if some, we'll, we'll take, um, this is kind of a new development. I won't say a new development, but this is come to the surface a lot more often than not in the last 10 years, the same sex marriage. Um, for me, it's always been what happens in the boom, boom room stays in the boom, boom room. Yeah. Like I'm not going to be out here doing, lo- I mean, for sure there's locker room talk to an extent. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't sit here and tell you that I haven't been a part of that situation. Um, have I done it involving my current boom, boom room partner, AKA my wife? Uh, no. Yeah. I feel like, at a certain point, like once you start caring, mm-hmm. the more you care about it, the less you talk about it. Yeah. Right. Um, so, yeah, like I've already lost my, I got sidetracked by this boom, boom room talk. Sometimes you do. I know. Um, no, same sex marriage. Yeah. Um, because people are so nervous or have everybody grew up on uh, Leave it to Beaver or whatever show that has the most wholesome morals or whatever. And it's always been traditional a plus B equals C not Mm -hmm. a plus a equals blank or whatever. It's always been, this is the recipe to have a happy family. Um, but I don't understand currently why some religious aspects or some religious entities, uh, have such a problem with that. Oh, and I, I don't know what the end game, like what, when you have people that are that invested in somebody else's sex life, what do they gain by being able to control that? Or what's the point of kicking up I all that fuss? I don't really know that it's so much about control. This is one of the, the challenges that I think we have in talking to each other about hotly charged political issues is mm-hmm. that, you know, this group thinks that that group has an agenda and wants to control them and, sure. and et cetera, et cetera. You know, I, I did not come down on the side of affirming, you know, the right of two people to get married regardless of their gender quickly. Like, yeah. I, that's a process that I've come to over years. Mm-hmm. And I was a pretty staunch opponent of it, even as little as like five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
you know, I don't think it's so much about controlling something. I think it's about um, our understanding of the way things are. Right. It's it's not that it's not that people somewhere want to control the lives of folks in the LGBTQ community. They just don't want to be uncomfortable. They just don't want to be uncomfortable and they don't want someone to do something that they think endangers their salvation. So if you want to take it from the best light, then what they're trying to do is to lead these people away from a lifestyle that, you know, creates a harmful environment for them. Mm -hmm. If, if that, if you take it at the best, if you take it at the worst and say, you know, they're just trying to control these people. Okay. I understand that too. But you know, for me, what I had to realize is that some people actually can't be their best selves without their partner. Yeah. You know, without oh, the person 100%. in their life who really compliments them. Like I am a better person because of my wife. Oh, you are a better person because of your wife. hundred oh, percent. Um, if not and 300. I have met, and it took me a long time, but I've met gay people in relationships who they're just better people with their partner. Mm-hmm. And if, if the church can't look at that and say, this is something where I can see God moving. Yeah. Then we have to ask ourselves, what is it that we're looking for? Mm-hmm. You know, and if, if you can't see that, I understand that. I get it. It's okay. But do you necessarily have the right to tell this person that they can't be who they are in the eyes of the law? Yeah, then you're getting into shakier ground. That sure. was that was that was a big part of it for me. Is you know, legally, sure, people can get married, and yeah. most I think if you ask most people in this community, they don't care. they don't care about the legal part of it. They care yeah. about the church part of it mm-hmm. because for them, the church witness is compromised. By allowing this to happen. I got you. Yeah, that makes and, sense. And, you know, I understand that. Now, it's not where I land, as you well know, and most of the people in the community that know anything about the Episcopal Church and the Nativity will know. Um, but, you know, we still try to find ways to celebrate God breaking into people's lives and God moving in people's lives. And Absolutely. this happens to be one where I think a lot of us can see that happening much to our surprise. Yeah. You know. I've always, my theology has always been kind of a moving target mm-hmm. like ever since I was a kid. But the one thing that I've always strived for and always really f- focused my attention on is safety, happiness, and love. Uh, all those things roll into all the other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's like if you just take God as love and just apply that across the board, um, I feel like it makes sense. You fall in love with whomever you fall in love with. Like Mm -hmm. there's, there's not like, there's no switch. That's like, all right, you're going to fall in love with this person. Like there's things about me. I'm sure my wife would not have been like, that's that probably was not on the checklist. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, confrontational probably not on that checklist and i'm not really that confrontational i just don't shy away from it if it seems necessary Mm -hmm. um but if god is love i don't understand why people can't just be happy for that couple i mean at the end of the day it just comes to each each individual's insecurities and this and that but yeah it just it's i won't say intimidating it just sucks to 
to for people to want to be on the winning team when the winning team seems like they're making silly decisions. Yeah. Well, and one of the challenges with that is that we look at it as a win-loss situation. Yeah. You know, and it's not really a win-loss situation. It's a situation that is. And again, you know, one of the questions that the church has to answer for itself is where's God moving in all this? Mm-hmm. You know, you, the the line that you you said there about, you know, God above all being love, there's a great hymn um, of the ancient church and in Latin reads Ubi caritas et amor Deus est. We'll subtitle that for everybody. Subtitle is it. where true charity and love are. God Himself is there. Mm-hmm. So where where we find love and charity in the world, where we find love and grace in the world, is where God is. Like if we're celebrating anything this Christmas season, what we're talk, thinking about and talking about and and celebrating is the fact that God loved humanity enough to come and be here Mm -hmm. to take on human flesh so that our sins could be redeemed. And one of the, one of the weird things about, um, about the way we approach sin is our tendency to forgive sins that we can imagine ourselves, you know, committing. Mm -hmm. Like I cannot see myself with another man that has never crossed my mind. So it's easy for me to say, well, that obviously is a sin. Yeah. Because I would never do it. And, and the natural revulsion I have for that makes me believe it's a sin. By the same token, there's some people who have that same natural revulsion to a relationship that gives me great joy mm-hmm. and comfort and peace. Hell, you know, 48 years ago when I was born, my parents' marriage would have been illegal yeah. in this city, in this state. Yeah. You know, so in 1972, still couldn't have gotten married in Alabama. Now you could move to the state, but you couldn't get married yeah. here. You had to go go across the yeah. line and get married and come back. And and we believed that was a sin mm-hmm. and we justified it through the scriptures. Yeah. We justified it in all sorts of ways. We've we we know better now. You know, the church is always in a process of learning where we've gone wrong and how we can be better. Yeah. You know, I feel like the Ten Commandments were a solid, solid ten. It's a solid start. But I mean, I I joke around about this. I'm also I can play devil's advocate to anybody mm-hmm. or anybody's opinion or whatever. Um, I'm just naturally good at antagonizing people, um, and I enjoy it a lot. Um, which actually, this is not what this podcast is about. Um, but I just. For um, for so long, people have just used religion as a shield to do shitty things or a cudgel. Yeah, you know, you can use it as a shield, you can use it as a sword, mm-hmm. or you can use it the way I think it's intended, which is to be balm and heal and salve. You know, mm-hmm. there are times when yeah, you have to shield, and you have to shield people with it, but you know. Ecclesiastes says there's a time for, you know, everything under the sun for a reason. Yeah. And it's because there is a time to do that. There is a time to use the the faith as sword. There is a time to use the faith as shield. But there's also time to use the faith to mend and mm-hmm. to heal. And, and it's a question of how you want to do that. And your seasons in your life are going to be different from different times. 
you know, we, we tend to think that we've got to have all the answers, yeah. right? We've got to know exactly what we're supposed to do in every situation. That's helpful. That's awesome. Awfully helpful. I would love to have a book that I could just check and say, Oh, Oh, you know, it's I'm Tuesday 48 today. It's, it's, it's Tuesday, December the 15th, you know, at 10 o'clock I'm supposed mm-hmm. to do this. That would make my life so much easier. I wouldn't have to think about it. Sure. But you know, we've got to work out that stuff on our own. We've got to work out that salvation with fear and trembling. And and that's what we do. And one of my best friends actually said something early on in my development as an adult Christian that really just smacked me in the mouth and has never let me go. Um, and it was that it's better to have some good questions than to have all the answers. Oh yeah. Right. So if we're thinking about the faith, if we're wondering about things, if we're really, you know, investing the time and energy because it takes time and energy to wonder about things like that. And if we're doing that, then that's still faithful. Asking those good, hard questions is absolutely a faithful thing to do. I mean, that's how you learn firsthand. That's how the lessons... Some of us, yeah. Well, yeah. That's how I learned. Like, yeah. I didn't learn the stove was hot until I stuck my hand on there a few times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah. And those lessons last much longer than like if you're just in a Sunday school room and they're like, yeah, we did this and blah, yeah. blah, blah. Well, um, man, I, I'm, I'm the kind of person that like, you know, other people can be convinced. I need to be smacked upside the head with a two by four to understand for sure. know, what I'm supposed to do. And those, those lessons stick in, in large part because you come away with the scars. Yeah. You know, and the scars tell a story and they are who you are. That's it. Um, Hey, that's that, that leads to a good question. What, uh, why does the Bible hate tattoos? <laughs> so with that <laughs> I'm just so, gonna fire random stuff at no, you no, 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 this is great this is this is one of the things I when love I was, doing when I was growing up in the Methodist church like anybody yeah anybody that mentioned wanting to get a tattoo like everybody was like you gonna burn I'm like what I thought it just hurt when it was happening but I didn't realize it burned forever yeah. but. so there's um, there's a lot in the Deuter Deuter blah, blah, blah. There's a lot in the Deuteronomic law mm-hmm. that is about differentiating yourself from the culture. Okay. And so one of the things that, you know, the ancient tribes that Israel was around did was to mark themselves, mm-hmm. right? You see like the tribal tattoos from Asian Pacific Islanders. Yep. You see them in Africa. You see them in all these native and indigenous cultures, right? One of the ways that the Israelites were trying to def- Distinguish themselves from everybody else was to avoid doing those things. Some of it was for health reasons, mm-hmm. but some of it was also about just being different. Makes sense. You know, and so there's a part of the Christian history that is also about being different. Yeah. And so, you know, that's that's probably where that comes from. But everybody wants to use that uh don't destroy the temple type thing. Yeah. As, there's as also the that. There's also that. And um, you know, you I don't have any tattoos. My wife's got several. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, you know, if you have tattoos, okay, I, I'm i fine with that. I, it's not something I object to. It's not for me. But, you know, I, I think God's got bigger things to worry about. Yeah, that's than always. whether or not you get a tattoo. I've always you know? wondered that. Like, why, out of all the things that, that I've done wrong, why is it this one that you guys want to focus on? Yeah. Is the visible, I mean, obviously... Nobody knows exactly what anybody else has done in their yeah. life. Um, but, but you, you remember what I said about people willing, being willing to forgive sins. Yeah. Right. You're, you're much more likely to forgive the sins you can conceive of yourself. For committing. sure. Yeah. Right. I, 
I have no interest in getting a tattoo. It'd be really easy for me to say, yeah, all the people that get tattoos go to hell. Scumbags. All of them. Every, last every one. single one. Oh, wait, wait. I found one that I kind of like. So, uh, not all of them. It, it's only when you cover yourself with them. And, oh, no, it's only when you, you know, get tattoos of certain things. Was that, that had to be in the Old Testament, yeah? Yeah. 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 Why? There may be something about it in the New Testament, but I don't remember it. Why? Uh, this is going to sound real bold. Okay. Um, and this isn't necessarily anything that I'd have an opinion on one way or the other. Cause I think, I think what I'm about to say, I think there's value in it. And there's also the, the old Testament is the most problematic for me. And here's why. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, I feel like people try to take the old Testament as literal as possible sometimes in some instances mm-hmm. and sometimes they just disregard full chapters and full books oh yeah um because it doesn't fit their argument at the yeah, moment yeah or you'll take a verse and then completely disregard the next verse sure right we're we're awfully good at that yeah and again it's because we're we're very willing to forgive the sins that we can see ourselves committing yeah right you know the the old testament tells you not to eat shellfish I mean, I'm you know, allergic to it. And I f- but the, wholeheartedly then, believe then that. you shouldn't eat shellfish. Yeah, but you know that also says not to eat pork. And you you go, go around right. here in the summertime, and you find me a you know a shrimp boil mm-hmm. with Koneka sausage in it. Deal me in, son. I'm going right. to town on that. Bible says I shouldn't. We we understand things differently than we did two thousand years ago and five thousand years ago mm-hmm. when you know people started writing the books that make up the Old Testament. You know, and the, and the more you get into that, the more you understand that what's what's the Bible supposed to be, right? If the Bible's supposed to be a set of instructions only, then why do we ignore some and exalt others? Yeah. Well, it's not supposed to just be instruction. It's a story. Mm-hmm. It's a story about the way that God has loved the people of this earth because he created them over the course of history and will love them until the end of time. Sure. Right? There's an arc between Genesis and Revelation, and it's about the story of love that God has for the world. You know, we'd also, honestly, we'd do a lot better for ourselves as Christians if we'd really learn the way that the people who still hold the Old Testament is the only testament, Mm -hmm. if we'd learn how they approach it. Because they love, you know, one of the things I adore about the people I've met who are, you know, Jewish in their tradition is their willingness to engage the story and talk about it and tell stories about the story and question it and argue about it. Is that, do you think it's like that because their religious studies are in chronological order where they start the Torah on day one and they just go, I think it's Have because you ever of the, the way they, it's crazy. It's all on lambskin and stuff. It's bananas. Over yeah, there. it's 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 amazing. I've never actually touched um, a Torah. I've only seen a couple. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've seen the one at Temple Emmanuel. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen the one at Temple Bethel back in Pensacola, mm-hmm. where we came from. But I've never touched one. Even the outside of it. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it's a thing of wonder and mystery to me. But no, I don't think it's I, it, I don't think it's about that. I think it's about the way that they understand approaching the scriptures, approaching the holy texts. Yeah. Not as um, an instruction book 
not as a limiting document, but just a set of lessons that you can draw wisdom from, and and no matter what, stories that mm-hmm. tell the story of God's love for the people. You know, that the, makes sense. So, so, what's up? You think they put a couple, couple of every animal on one boat and just said, "We'll see what happens in forty days, forty nights"? Or I feel like there'd be a lot of eating on that. Boat. I, there should have, there would have been a lot of eating on that boat. Like yeah. you would have had to pack extra rabbits, or maybe you wouldn't, because rabbits reproduce quickly. But sure. for, not in forty days. No. I, I don't think the gestation period's that short. No. Um, and it. the rabbits, the little rabbits wouldn't reach maturity. So you'd, you'd have to have feed animals. I don't take a lot of those stories literally because mm-hmm. I don't think the people who wrote them intended for them to be taken literally. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's one of the things like, so one of my first experiences in the community in Dothan, um, I was in my yard and with my son, who's probably, I don't think JP was even two at this point. Somebody pulls up in front of the yard in a white panel van mm-hmm. And so I'm immediately suspicious because, you yeah, know, unlike you, I worry about everything and I worry about like wild scenarios for You know everything. what Buffalo Bill drives. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. I, you know, I, I watch Silence of the Lambs. Absolutely. I've seen CSI. I know what a white panel van yeah, means. It's, it's, it means bad news. And so I step in between JP and the road and this person gets out and, and they come up and they said, hey, do you mind if I ask you some, do you mind if we talk about the Bible a little bit? Now, I'm in a t-shirt and jeans because I'm working in the yard. Yeah. They don't know that I'm the priest at the church. Sure. And so I'm like, sure, I'd love to. And I, I see said, what you got. said, JP, go around, you know, go around the side to, you know, where your mother and Lila are. And so he went left and we started talking. And the person leads off their conversation by asking me if I believe every word in the Bible's true. And I say, Absolutely. I do. I do believe every word in the Bible's true. Okay. And they said, Do you know that the Bible never contradicts itself? And I said, Well, Wait a minute. If you don't think the Bible contradicts itself, then you haven't read past the first chapter. Sure. Because the first chapter of Genesis, right, is this whole account of creation, Mm -hmm. right? The spirit moves over the waters. The light divides the darkness. You know, God divides the light from the darkness. You know, the waters from the earth, tra-la-la. And in chapter two of Genesis, it's an entirely different account of creation. There's a different order. There's different storytelling methods used. They're two different stories of creation. So if you think the Bible never contradicts itself, then you haven't read the first two chapters. So what do you do with that? What do you do with a book that is rife with contradictions that in one place tells you, you know, wipe everybody out. And in another place tells you have mercy and have pity and, and treat, you know, the stranger and the alien in your land with, with kindness, well, because you, you were alien. strangers once. Like, what do you do with that? Well, you look. What, what are the, what are the repeated themes? What comes up over and over again? You know, and what's the situation? I yeah. am not a situational ethics person. I think most situations there is a set of ethics. Mm-hmm. Like you do what's right, you do what's kind, you do what's just, you do what's loving. Sure. There are times when that's not the best thing for that person. And that's where that's where we get into a struggle with faith. Like we talk about the sexuality question, mm-hmm. goes back to that. If you honestly believe that you're doing the best for that person by encouraging them to not live that lifestyle, then it's going to be really hard for me to convince you that that person's lifestyle is actually a blessing from God. Yeah. And there's some things that we can just have to disagree on. The question is where we draw those lines in the sand, and and can we still be Christ-like to each other? In spite of those lines drawn in the sand, yeah, the answer should be yes, but sometimes it's no. I think what a lot of people forget when they, and especially like this, will kind of tie all this together. People don't understand that from my well, 
this is just only my perspective, my opinion. Um, the way I view anybody's relationship with whatever religion that it is, is if that is the your creator, no matter what what sect of religion you're in, um, if your creator is the end all be all, that should be the highest, most important relationship in your life. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but what I don't understand is why so many people feel the need to advertise that relationship. So with me and my wife, it goes back to locker room talk. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you every intimate detail about my relationship with my wife, let alone, I mean, we've got good friends that we'll probably never trade all the stories about. You know yeah. what I mean? Oh yeah. Mutual friends too. Um, but I don't understand everybody's, maybe it's not that. I just don't understand the need for everybody to advertise their relationship. Yeah. And I think from, from my perspective, it's people kind of just, trying to flash a badge saying like, no, I'm covered. And I don't know. Steven ministers kind of bum me out too. There's a whole lot of stuff that we get into for <laughs> sure. I do feel like we need to do this like on a, we'll probably need to make a series out of this. Cause we've gone, we should, we're like an hour and five minutes in. And, and, I feel and, like we're and we, we, we talked for like a half hour before that, but here's, here's something I'd frame up for you out of that discussion because Right. I, I get the idea, the sense that, you know, people wear that on their sleeve and, mm-hmm. and kind of throw it at you. Sure. You know, we all respond differently to relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, Katie and I are, are reasonably physically demonstrative, but we have a lot of couple friends that are far less mm-hmm. physically demonstrative of their love. That doesn't mean they love each other any less. Yeah. We have some couple friends that are far more demonstrative mm-hmm. you know and that doesn't mean they love each other more it just means that they have different ways of showing it Absolutely. so you know do do i do i walk into every room and and start asking people about their relationship with jesus no no i mean that's how you, you got know, i mean you can't do that You'll i mean i can leave i can but you know some places <laughs> i would get asked to leave some sure. places you know as soon as we got down and started drilling into discussion they'd think that i was a heretic and that's fine if they yeah. want to think i'm a heretic but, you know, we all treat those relationships differently. There are people in my church who are you know, more than happy to talk about who they're praying for, who's on their prayer list. I am grateful for those prayer warriors mm-hmm. in the world. There are people in my church who don't want to talk about their prayer life, who don't want to talk about their personal relationship with Christ. And that's fine, too. Sure. You know, we we all worship in our own way because we're all different. Mm-hmm. The diversity of the way that we experience Jesus and and you know, or whatever faith that we experience, the diversity of that is part of the marvel and the joy of it. And you know, I, you've we've all met those people who are just who are so over the top with their faith that it's almost annoying. Yeah, and I get that, but I'm sure I'm that for somebody else. Really. I'm sure I am. If not in, you know, the way that I am expressively, then theologically I'm way too generous for some people, you know. And for some people I'm theologically way too conservative. And that's okay. I mean, it's the same way that I'm way too much of a dude for you to be into. You know what I mean? Like, 
Everybody's got their own thing. Mm-hmm. Everybody needs, and everybody's relationships aren't identical. Yeah. Like we said, we've got mutual friends that we don't know each other's stories about and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. I feel like the more people dig into their own moral code and their, um, what their overall vision for what a perfect world is, I think the, the better off we'll all be. Yeah. Um, whether it's a religious situation, whether it's getting involved in a nonprofit or whatever the case may be, I feel like people need to be digging into things that are going to be enriching. Yeah. Um, things that are going to perpetuate good vibes for everybody. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of where my church lives. Like I'm not a member necessarily of any one particular church. Um, I feel like at a, in a weird way that the work that I do, like what I do for a living is very much me trying to perpetuate love and good vibes and yeah. Um, just unity for everybody. Peace and joy and happiness yeah, and unity. Yeah, absolutely. And so this is, this is one of the interesting things to me is that very often the people that I meet who, you know, I w- not claim to be like not people of faith, but who aren't into organized religion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, man, I, I, there's a whole lot of people in the world that are like that and it's fine. And here's the other thing about that. Just because we don't believe exactly the same doesn't mean we can't be working to the same thing. And what the same thing is, is building up the community, building up the community, whether you believe it's because like for, for a Christian person, it's because I believe that every person is created in the image of God. And so therefore every person is worthy of me being able to recognize God in them, For sure, whether we share the same faith or not. Mm -hmm. And if you look across faiths, around the globe, you will find much of the same, mm-hmm. you know? And so we can all celebrate the good things in the life of the community. You know, when, when kids are successful, when, you know, businesses are doing well, when people are treating each other kindly, when the, the poor are being lifted up and, you know, becoming self-reliant, whatever it is that we can find in the world that is building up the life of the community. Yeah. If that's your faith, then, then do that faith, yeah. do that faith. And if you, if you happen to wander into a church sometime, know that that's what we believe ultimately yeah. too. Sometimes we get bogged down in the details of like exactly how we worship. Yeah. But that's kind of like, you know, having grown up in South Mississippi, that's kind of like telling somebody else that their gumbo recipe isn't gumbo. Oof. fighting words. Don't do that. No. Because their gumbo is gumbo, whether they use a light roux or a dark roux or a medium roux, whether they a lot of okra or barely put any okra in it, whether yeah. they're doing it with chicken and sausage or, you know, the only thing that you got to do is make that gumbo. Yeah. Do it. I feel like if people are so caught up in their own insecurities, they need to figure out a way to swiftly define what they are or what they believe in and it kind of compartmentalizes or just yeah you can't just put a bow on any one individual theology um and if you can then you should start doubting kind of i would think i feel like everybody's going to do their own ideally do their own research come up to their with their own conclusions and with people like you and churches in the community um have a reasonable guide instead of uh, just being left out in the cold with yeah. a book by themselves. Yeah. Um, which is why I really wanted to have this conversation. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people can benefit from it, myself included. Like I always, 
I always come up with questions out of a respectful place, but a lot of times I'm just like, sometimes I'll be annoyed about something and come up with a hilarious question and be like, well, what does the Bible say about Area 51? Yeah. Not much. No. What's going to (laughs) happen? Like, what about... But here's the thing. I will tell you, there's a vision that Ezekiel has. Okay. In the book of Ezekiel, there's a vision that Ezekiel has that a lot of people think may have been Ezekiel experiencing a UFO. Did he eat some mushrooms before this? He does not record having eaten mushrooms before this, but I Ezekiel have was also a, no, no. You, you don't. There are very few people I know who record like when they're eating mushrooms. Yeah, those yeah. are the people who are using it for like actual, you know, psychiatric mm-hmm. care. Yeah, everybody else is like, you know, hey, I got a bad idea. You go to Joshua Tree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you know, the, the the Bible doesn't say much about Area Fifty One, but does it? rule out the possibility of something else being out there? Hmm. I'm not sure it does. So here's something that just occurred to me. But I think would be for fun another for hour. Us. Yeah, this I'm well, fine with it. I well no, no, because no this is this is a this is a sort of wrap up thing, right? Yeah. So because we could we could kick this like, you know, we could we could take, you know, a couple of restroom breaks and, and literally probably do this for days. Mm-hmm. But um one of the things that I think might be entertaining for the next time we do this, which, you know, maybe when I'm already in Baton Rouge, maybe we'll do it next week right before Christmas. Who knows? But um, if you get it out before then, what I would say is I think something that would be interesting is is to give your listeners the opportunity to ask the questions that they've always wanted to ask but have always been afraid to. Sure. Anonymously, I love those like, questions, dude. Yeah. Like, that's one of the things that I've loved about our relationship mm-hmm. is, like, you'll ask me the questions that everybody else is like, well, I, you know, I, I don't want to. Uh, and I know it's not because you're trying to to tear apart no. what I believe. I understand that it's because you want a better understanding. Sure, you know, same true. Same's true for your listeners. So if we turn this into a you know a series, and people have some questions, we can look at them and say that's a really good question. Yeah, we're gonna, we're going to spend a little time on that, and probably questions you have. You know, I've I've been doing this for a long time. Mm. It's been a real long time since anybody asked me a new question. Yeah, you know, every now and then you get one. And it, you know, you have to, that's when you really have to have the, the, the pastor poker face. Right. You know, somebody will ask you like a hypothetical and you just kind of go, I had never even begun to conceive of that as a possibility. So I'm going to look thoughtfully. I'll do some research. I'm going to look thoughtfully up in the air for a minute and then come up with an answer and then really have to do some research on it. Yeah. You know, and, but here's the other thing. I don't mind telling people I don't know. I think that's what a lot of people miss in interactions with anybody of any kind of authority within the church. Like everybody expects because so-and-so has gone here longer, they know more than me. Yeah. Or somebody sits, if you sit, whoever sits closest to the pulpit knows the most. Yeah. And then whoever's at it should know more than everybody else. Ideally. Well, yeah. Which sometimes isn't the case. Um, I've sang a song at a church. I was not the most knowledgeable person at that church at all. Um, but I think a lot of people have a misconception that like you, there's a timeline of how the process of becoming a devout Christian happens. Yeah. Well, Um, and and people also are very often afraid to ask questions because either one, they don't want to sound ignorant Mm -hmm. or two, they're afraid that their question will make them look like they don't believe. Sure. You know, and, I have always said, y- y'all ask the questions, just ask the questions, because 
I'd rather you ask than not know. Yeah, doubt creates you know? certainty. And like I said, if I don't know the answer, I'll say, I don't know. Yeah. Let's find that out together. And what I mean by doubt creates certainty is doubt creates yeah. the situation where you go start digging and then you eradicate that doubt one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, dude, I appreciate you coming in doing this. Man. Love this it. Blast. Love it. Like I said, you know, if, if we if we have to start doing these remotely, then we'll do them remotely. But that's fun. Yeah. It's fun for me. And again, you know, I dig talking about this stuff. I, this is what I do for a living. Yeah. But it's also a passion. It's one of those things I've always. I've never considered myself a minister by any means, but somebody did reference like what I do kind of in a parallel light where it's, yeah, we're all just looking for peace and joy and love. And if you can find it rifling around and yeah, in the woods, wandering around for whatever and getting answers that way. Or if you need like me, um, I just ask everybody questions. Yeah. Until like everybody's experiences and my own personal experiences roll together. And obviously I'm not asking a bunch of people that I don't trust because yeah. they'd be like, Man, you heard but Justin's got questions about this. He's probably a lunatic. Justin's Justin's a gospel minister, y'all. That's and it. I, I'll I'll tell By you the book. I'll tell you here's another thing that you need to know about that. Gospel is good news. Yeah. That's that's what the word means. It yeah. means good news. So, you know, if you're if you're preaching the good news then yeah, you're you're doing gospel ministry. Just well, figure out, you know, how it works for you. It's not how I started doing it, but I appreciate the sentiment. Um yeah, dude. Let's do this again next week if you got time. Sure. Awesome. All Let we're me, doing uh, is all we're doing is packing at this point. So I gotcha. You know, I've got worship on Sunday and then um Christmas Eve and then the Sunday after Christmas awesome. day and then we're done. So I'll get we, can do, to... we can do the next two Mondays if you want. All right. Yeah, let's shoot for that. Okay. Cool. If you'd like to be a guest on the Wiregrass Local podcast, give us a shout at wiregrasslocal at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Wiregrass Local or hit us up on Friendster, MySpace, or LiveJournal. That's all fake, but you know what I mean. <laughs>